0: Thank you for joining us on our Crossroads podcast. My name is Darren Snow, and I'm the senior pastor here at Crossroads Community Church, and we want to welcome you to the journey as we are in a series on Matthew 5, 6, and 7, what has historically been called the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached by Jesus himself. We hope you enjoy. Thank you, Pastor Mike and uh, Melvin and Sandra and our worship team. Uh, He is our rock. That's not just some simple Christian platitude. He is our rock. He is our firm foundation. And when the winds of life and the storms of life begin to blow, and they always do, we stand on what we know to be true. There is a God and He is good even beyond our circumstances, our firm foundation. You may be seated. Oh, if you are visiting with us this morning, we're really glad to have you here. Really glad to have you here. Uh, My name is Darren Snow, I'm the senior pastor here at Crossroads, and on behalf of our pastoral staff, our staff, uh, and our board of elders, we want to welcome you to the service. For those of you that are watching us online, what a blessing to have you join us uh, as well. And if you're uh, visiting with us, it's a great time to be here, uh, because today is week number two, so we just started a new series last week on the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And if you are visiting, I was uh, in a conversation with a first-time visitor this morning. I just told him, you know, this is just kind of like what we like to do. A couple years ago, we finished up a three-year jaunt through uh, the book of Luke. Last year, we went through the book of Ephesians, every single verse. Next year, oh, by the way, we're going to do the book of Colossians. Already excited about that. But we're going to take seven months, starting last week, going through the first Sunday in September, and we are walking through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, I want you to turn or tap to Matthew 5, verse 4. While you are doing that, all right, let me get your uh, wheel spinning a little bit this morning. Have you ever heard the old saying, there is more there than meets the eye? Yeah, just about we all have. Of course we all have. Uh, it, it, what it means is that there are certain aspects of something or maybe someone that aren't obvious at first glance. So Let me give you an example. Let's, uh, let's talk about an incredible great athlete. No, I'm not talking about myself. Those days are done. But let's say there is a basketball player, a, a great uh, young lady who is an incredible basketball player. And on the court, she can do, she can do it all. She can run the floor, uh, she can pass, she's an assist machine, she can score, she can can rebound, she can do it all. And so we look at that young lady and say, oh my goodness, what an incredible athlete that young lady is. And sometimes we tend to kind of pigeonhole people and we put them in a box. But then you find out later, not only is she a great athlete, but also um, she is incredibly smart. She's incredibly well-spoken. She's planning on going to college and she's going to be a brain surgeon or something. And so we look at someone like that and we say, oh my goodness, that young lady, there's more there than meets the eye. You with me? Okay, I want you to keep that in mind now as we go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. We're going to look at just one verse today. It's what we call the second beatitude. If you're new to Scripture, if you've never heard of the beatitudes, this is basically the preamble that Jesus gave before he got into the heart of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 4 says this, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Larry, can you leave this up here? Guys, we're not going to blip through this. We've only got one verse we're looking at today, and I don't want to blip through it. I want you to marinate on this for a moment. All right, take that all in. It's very short. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, when you read that verse, maybe you've read it 10,000 times, maybe this is the first time you've ever read it, but when you read that verse, what immediately comes to mind? I'm asking that somewhat rhetorically. But what comes to mind, and don't overthink it, when I look at that verse, here's what I wrote down, simply when we are grieving, when we're hurting, when we are mourning, no matter what the circumstance may be, we can go to Jesus and receive the comfort that only Jesus can give. I think that's true. There's no doubt about it, Mark. That's true. Okay? I think about what Jesus said in Matthew 11:28. 28. He said, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. So true, 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 true. There is rest and there is comfort in the arms of Jesus. But one of the joys about taking our time as we kind of meander through a book is we don't do anything quickly. And this verse is a classic example, all right, that there is more than meets the eye. Now, one of the things that we're going to see beginning today is that Jesus did not just give us the Beatitudes willy-nilly, needless to say. There was very much intentionality, not only in the Beatitudes, but the order in which he gave them. So if you're reading through your Bible, you get to Matthew chapter 5, and you're going through all the Beatitudes, it's easy to look at those as a series of standalone. By the way, there's nine of them, and it's easy to look at those as standalone. Okay. You can look at them as standalone. We're taking one at a time. But what we're going to see is that they are all connected. There is a connection. All right? So we're looking deeper. Let's look at where Jesus put the second attitude. And some of the smart alecks in the room would say, well, duh, it's after the first uh, beatitude. And there would be some truth to that. But let's go back to Pastor Caleb's message last week as we got this series kicked off. Here's the first beatitude going back to last week. Let's look at the connection. Blessed, Jesus said, are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So let's go back real quick last week to what Pastor taught us. Jesus was saying there that the kingdom of heaven is for those who have an understanding that they will never, ever, 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 ever be good enough to earn their way into heaven. Rather, It is those who come to an understanding that we come into the saving arms of Jesus. We're talking about salvation here. We come into the saving arms of Jesus by his what? Alone, saints, by his grace alone. Crossroads, you know this well. We're saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone, not by our good works. It's great and wonderful to try to be a good person. Praise God for that. But that's not what earns us into the presence of a perfect, holy, and just God. So here's where I need you to stay with me. I'm gonna say this a couple times now, okay? So we're talking specifically then about the unbeliever who does not know Jesus. You know all you can know about Jesus till the cows come home. But for those who have not put their faith in Christ, so as the spirit begins to move. Drawing his own to himself, being theologically and biblically correct. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you that you should go and bear fruit. Okay, So as the spirit begins to move, drawing the unbeliever to himself, there begins to be this powerful cognitive understanding that goes something like this. Oh, snap. I'm a sinner. Oh, snap. I am not the good person that I thought I was. What is this, saints? What is God the Holy Spirit in his goodness and his mercy giving to us? He is giving to us his conviction. That's where conviction comes into play. That's what being poor in spirit is. It's when we come to this starting off with this, uh, this cognitive uh, understanding uh, that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And I don't know about you, when you went through this, those of you that are followers of Jesus, but, but this, this is a, a, an understanding that's kind of like a brick in the head. You know, when you come to that place, uh, your head begins to spin a little bit, that you're not the good person that you thought you were. But the Spirit is not done. So I want you to stay with me now in this process for the unbeliever. Okay, He takes us from this intellectual understanding, our head, down to a deeply emotional place. So we're going from our head to our heart. And here's the connection to the second beatitude. We begin to deeply grieve and mourn the person that we are apart from Jesus. I don't know about you, it's not a pretty picture when the Spirit and His Word, that mirror is held up in front of us, and you're like, ugh! Here I thought I was this really, really good person. And what I'm saying now is that I am anything but that. And so this process of conviction and mourning prepares us for where the Spirit is taking us. This is the connection to last week. Caleb's message is the Spirit is taking us to this place of repentance. You see it? The Spirit works, he's drawing his own to himself. There is this sense of conviction, who I am apart from Jesus, that then leads to repentance. And so through the work of the Spirit, uh, we, as an unbeliever, we would acknowledge our sin, we confess our sin, we repent of our sin, and then we're not done yet. Through the power of the Spirit, we turn away from our sin to find grace, redemption, mercy, forgiveness in the arms of Jesus. And we become, in that place and in that time, new creations in Christ Jesus. What is it, 2 Corinthians 5, 17? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. You are not the same person, not because you're trying to be a good person. You're a new person because God the Holy Spirit is now living within you. So, here's our point of truth. This grieving, this mourning, our mourning opens us up to his, I I had a hard time even coming up with adjectives here, this incredibly beautiful, unspeakable joy and comfort. And this comfort that we experience is not a process. It is now an event. It is instantaneous. Why? Because his forgiveness is. We are forgiven of our sin no matter how deep in the muck and the mire we may be. And saints, this is one thing, those of you who call Crossroads Home, you've heard me say this a thousand times, I'm going to make it a thousand and one. I would be willing to bet a dime to it. I couldn't tell you how many times between myself, Pastor Juan, who is uh, the lead pastor at Crossroads Espanol, Pastor Caleb, uh, elders, it goes on and on. You don't have to be a pastor or elder to have heard this, but you will hear something like this. I get all this stuff that you're saying and I really want to believe all of this stuff that you're saying, but God could never love me. He could never fully forgive me because, Pastor, you have absolutely no idea just how deep in the muck and the mire of sin that I'm in if that is you today to any degree, let me just say this as gracefully as I can say it. Let me say it as straightforward as I can say it, That is absolutely, seriously, that is a lie from the pit of hell itself. Because you know what? If you, if you have that in your mind, that the sin that you have committed, the bad decisions that you have made, the people that you, the list goes on and on. If you say that, that, that Jesus cannot love or save me, then what you're saying is that the cross was not enough. Bull. Man, I came real close to saying another bad word. I said one during Marriage with a Purpose yesterday. It wasn't that bad, but it wasn't fit for the pastor anyway. Okay? So I want you to stay with me this, okay? So that is incident, no matter the depth of our sin. So, so let's get a full theological picture now. Blessed are those who mourn, you see it? For they will be comforted. Okay, now this incredibly beautiful work of the Spirit. There in that time is, again, he draws his own to himself. That's not the end of the journey, saints. Praise God, that's just the beginning of the journey. So what I want you to understand is process, event, process. The process that we were just talking about, the process of conviction, of mourning, of repentance. God's doing something. Then we come into this saving relationship with Jesus And I say that in event, if you will, because you were dead two minutes ago. Now you are alive. You were lost five minutes ago, and now you are found. You are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. So we go from process of mourning to this event of salvation, but then stay with me. We then go from the event of salvation. We then move into the process, if you will, of sanctification. If you've never heard the, that word sanctification, maybe you have maybe you haven't. That's just a little $3 word that simply means the process of becoming the man or woman of God that you were created to be. It is a lifelong process. I wish we came to know Jesus on Sunday. We woke up on Monday and we were fully sanctified. Doesn't work that way, does it? It is a lifelong journey, one foot after another in the day-to-day nitty-gritty of life. Now, again, stay with me. we got a little bit more to go sanctification happens in so many different areas of our life. We could do a series forever on how God sanctifies us, but what is germane to the conversation that we are in? All right, let me walk you through this. We began to have an awareness of our sin that we had prior to coming to know Jesus, but now it's a little bit different. See, we're, we're far from being fully sanctified, so we continue to have the spirit working in our lives, which is why we can feel conviction, which is why there are some things that you can participate in for, I don't know, years and years and years, never thought about it, uh, twice about it, become a follower of Jesus. And the next thing you know, you've got this little prick in your spirit and the spirit is saying, ho, 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 ho now, hold on now. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Why do you get that conviction? Because you you you, you are new. You've got, you are a new person. And, and so your new self is going at war with your old self. You are a new creation. So you have an awareness of sin not only for yourself but also then an awareness of the sin of the world. And we begin to mourn and grieve over the things that God grieves and mourns. Second point of truth. I want you to get this now. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, new creations in Christ Jesus, What grieves God should grieve us. Now listen, if if you're a new creation in Christ Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus and you just kind of skip along the trail of life and the things that grieve and mourn the heart of God do not grieve and mourn you, then then we we got some work that needs to be done. That begs the question then, what are some of those things that grieve and mourn the heart of God? Not my opinion, but we go to Scripture. What are those things? Let me give you a couple of examples. We see this in Old Testament and New Testament alike. We see it all over the place. We see this from the mouth of Jesus himself. What grieves the heart of God? The poor, the disenfranchised, the widows and the orphans. We talked about this at Mission Sunday two Sundays ago. Why do we do the things that we do as individuals, as families, this community of faith? Why do we do that? And remember what I said? When you're a new creation in Christ Jesus, you are are called to something higher. So so there's a reason why we do the things that we do. It's not because we're better than anybody else, it's not because we're looking around for atta boys or atta girls. Remember what I said two weeks ago? Christians are going to do what Christians are going to do. Why? Because the things that grieve and mourn the heart of God should grieve and mourn us. And so we put feet to our faith. See it? that's why we do the things that we do. It's an obedience issue. Now, in our day and age, the social justice stuff, the tail begins to wag wag the dog. We get things out of order. The things that we do taking care of the widows and the orphans is because we are, okay, our series inside out because we are new creations from the inside out. That's why we do the things that we do. We don't do the things that we do to earn brownie points with God. That's impossible to do that anyway. Let me give you another one. we mourn those who do not know Jesus. Listen to me. If you're a follower of Jesus, and if you do not grieve and mourn deeply that there are people in your sphere of influence, family members, friends, for this community of faith, that there are people a nine iron from here. There are people all the the four communities and beyond. If we do not grieve and mourn that there are people who are going to die and go to hell. What is hell? Regardless if you believe whether it's flames or not, I couldn't care less. What is hell? It is an eternity apart from God. If we do not grieve and mourn and have a holy discontent that there are people who don't know Jesus, then something's wrong. And so with joy, We tell anybody who will listen who Jesus is and what he has done. That's why we do what we do. Let me give you one more. As we live out our faith as best we can through the leading and power of God, the Holy Spirit. Let me just tell you, if you're a new uh, Christian, okay, let me just tell you right now, you're not going to get it right all the time. And that's the understatement of the day. We're going to stumble and we're going to fall on occasion. Why is that? Okay, newsflash. Ready? Even as a Christian, life is hard, is it not? If you didn't say yes, you've only been a Christian for about 30 seconds and you're clueless. Life is hard, it's full of temptation, it's full of disappointment. And make no mistake about it, it is full of heartache as well. And even as Christians, and you may be, have been a believer for 50, 60 years, praise God. But I'm telling you, if you're a follower of Jesus, there are going to be times where life is going to throw you the curveball that you never saw coming. And there are going to be times that at least initially you do not respond immediately in that moment or in that season the way that you would like to. And God, in his goodness and his mercy, is so loving and he is so beautiful in how he brings those things to our attention. Again, that's the conviction of the Spirit in the life of the believer. Oh, I didn't understand that. Oh, I didn't get it at first. That's the way that the spirit works. And when he does that in his love and his grace and his mercy, that's when when we have, again, a post-salvation. That's when we have those experiences of grieving and mourning because in some way we understand that maybe we have grieved the heart of God. And he meets us right where we are. He says, oh, son, oh, daughter, I haven't forgotten about you. Even when we blow it. And I'm at the front of the blow it line. And he comforts us as only he can do. Do you see it? Blessed are those who mourn. For they will be comforted. When I was putting this message together, um, I thought this would be one of those times where um we needed to hear a story from one of our own from one of our own one that calls crossroads home and so i reached out to uh, eliza Shram, dave her family and asked her to prayerfully consider telling her story it's a real story it's a raw story it's a story that is still unfolding so eliza i'm going to ask that you come forward now hon if you would
1: thank you good morning I'm Liza Schramm. Uh, my husband Dave is down here. My whole family kind of occupies that third row. Um, I, told, I told the first service that memory is not my spiritual gift, um, so I wrote, I made sure this was okay with Pastor Darren. I wrote out everything that had kind of been stirring up in my heart this past year, so thank you for your grace as I um, read this and to Pastor Darren for the chance to do so. Last year, in May, my husband, Dave, and I found out that we were expecting a baby that we hadn't originally planned on. With this unexpected news came a little bit of trepidation, as adding to our crew wasn't in our 5, 10, or 20-year plan, but also some excitement. We decided pretty soon after that that we'd had enough surprises, and we were going to have the genetic testing done to tell us the gender of the baby before the 20-week ultrasound. The night before we received those results, we shared with our big girls the news about the sibling and were met with the joy of one telling us this is the best day ever and the disappointment of the other claiming the world was ending, which turns out was the exact war of emotions happening in my own head and heart. That night we put the girls to bed. I thought I got all the tears out the first service. And I remember closing my eyes and pleading with God to work in our daughter's heart in the coming eight months. But little did I know I'd be begging for that same prayer for myself, not even 24 hours later. The next morning, our doctor called to tell me the genetic test results and was quick to tell me he wasn't calling about the gender, but that the test was showing it was possible our baby had trisomy 21, or Down syndrome. After calling Dave at work in tears, we decided to call the doctor back and make an appointment to get a confirmation. We had to know. Emotions I never imagined feeling kicked in that day. On top of the previous night's worry about bringing a new member into an already cozy family unit, I was now anxious, sad, and angry. Why was this happening to me when I didn't even want a baby in the first place? (laughs) Let alone a baby was gonna change everything about our comfy lives and our plan. The grief I felt for the future was big, but the guilt I had from feeling that way when there are so many couples who want babies and can't have them, was even bigger. In the weeks between hearing that news and going for confirmation, between my cries to God for help and clarity, I reached out to our family and friends in desperation. Between the many sorries and my brother telling me I was being stupid for being so upset, (laughs) many people offered to pray for us, knowing that that was the best chance we had at making it through. That month, in the waiting and crying and praying, I felt my hope increase as I felt those prayers slowly changing me. They weren't taking away my fear, but they were deepening my faith alongside it. When we went for our confirmation appointment at 16 weeks and the ultrasound showed no trisomy 21 markers, the doctor offered an amniocentesis, which comes with a risk of miscarriage. And he side-noted, That we'd have to have the test done before 22 weeks if we were considering terminating. Which was not the last time termination was offered to us. In God's goodness and mercy, he spared us that heartache. He has done such a work in me that despite the fear and sadness we were feeling, terminating this life inside me was never an option for us. All that to say, it is not out of the realm of possibility for the human heart to be persuaded to think something like this is too hard to handle. And when presented with a way out by someone who may or may not know God, we often take it. Fortunately, the Lord redeems even the most brokenhearted and forgives those who repent from their sinful thoughts and actions. Dave and I were not willing to take the risk that came with confirming his trisomy 21, so we declined the test and we left. I got into the car after that appointment, and the song on the radio was Firm Foundation. Christ is my firm foundation the rock on which I stand when everything around me is shaken. I've never been more glad that I put my faith in Jesus because he's never let me down. He's faithful through generations, so why would he fail now? He won't. Excuse me. That song broke me and built me up all at the same time, and it was the same song that would play on my radio with every single appointment after that. It was sung in church by our amazing praise band several times throughout our pregnancy and even one night at a local women's ministry event that I attended with my friends. Each time I heard it, I was brought to tears because even though the rains came and the winds blew, my foundation was built on Jesus Christ and I knew it. Thankfully, the people around us held us tight and reached out after each appointment asking for an update and how to pray specifically. The prayers that I requested from so many people prayers for his dilated kidneys to resolve, prayers that he wouldn't suffer from a heart defect, prayers that he'd make it into this world alive were answered. Each one. I started this pregnancy praying for a miracle, and here God was working miracle after miracle as he has always done. In addition to praying for the baby's health every day, I prayed, Lord, if you won't change his diagnosis, please change my heart. I can't continue without backtracking a bit, though, because God's faithfulness didn't just show up when I was most desperate. He's always been faithful, and he's been preparing me for this moment in time, and only now can I look back and see that that's true. Growing up in the church, I loved God, but I spent my entire life on the surface, coasting with no real trials and without seeking a relationship with Christ, without even knowing that was something I could have. When we were forced by circumstance to find a new church in 2020, I never would have imagined it would bring me here, not just to Crossroads, but here spiritually. Still thinking I was not in need of him, I found him, and he opened my eyes, gave me a new fervor for his word and for him, and the Holy Spirit, as my counselor and my comforter, guided me to this exact trial that only he knew we were about to face. You see, this surprise baby was no surprise to God. He knew about our baby and his Down syndrome when he placed it on my heart as a five-year-old to one day grow up and be a teacher that, as I told my parents, teaches about God. He knew about it in the early 2000s when my mom completely switched careers to get her master's in special education. He knew in 2009 when I met my husband who would never let a diagnosis like this shake his we can handle this attitude. The antidote to my this isn't fair attitude. (laughs) He knew in 2017 when my sister began working in a peds cardiology clinic to later tell me everything I'd need to know about possible heart defects. God was silently preparing my heart when I spent five months joyfully substituting in my free time in District 204's special education program just last year prior to getting pregnant. And when we conveniently plopped the Baumgartner row right here Behind Gloria and her daughter Katie, who has Down syndrome. God knew when He gave me Pastor Darren, who will take my calls and questions about doctrine no matter how frequently they pop up, and Tasha, who teaches me how to pray and has discovered and encouraged my spiritual gifts so strongly and so intently. I could go on forever about His faithfulness. I won't. <laughs> The only reason I've come to even know the attributes of our God and recognize his power in my life is because of that shakeup he allowed our family to go through in 2020. Had we received this diagnosis just three short years ago, my life would have been shattered with little hope. Would I have been able to do it? Sure, many people do. Would I have been able to do it with the joy and comfort I currently have in knowing God ordained this for our good and his glory? Not a chance. God knew I needed this church and these people to teach me about the relationship Jesus wants with me, to teach me about praying specifically and fervently, about truth and love, to encourage me to open my Bible every day, to seek him and lay my worries on him. I look back on those first 32 years of my life with the sense of mourning Matthew 5:4 is referring to, the kind that makes you wish you had hindsight power to correct the sin you didn't even know you were living in. I look back on all those years I considered myself a Christian, shake my head, because even though I may have been genuinely trying to be Christ-like, I was letting the world define what that meant, not God himself. But I don't get stuck there too long, because as people like to say these days, you don't know what you don't know. And as we were so clearly promised, the Lord is now comforting me as I seek him. Pastor Caleb mentioned last month that if you're not in a storm right now, then you either just got out of one or are heading towards one. The comfort that comes from knowing my life is secure in Christ helps me to understand that no matter the storm, I am safe in him. And by his grace, he pursued me and waited for me to truly know him before helping me walk through this valley. I spent the entire pregnancy praying for this baby and learning everything there was to learn about Down syndrome. I fought doctors over my findings and my fears and often felt an overwhelm, thinking of all the things that could go wrong before birth. I cried often, worried that at the end of this pregnancy, we wouldn't have a baby to live on. And then Micah came, five weeks early, perfect, healthy and strong with an extra chromosome. And once again, proving to me that God's plans are bigger, better and greater than mine. When people comment about how I've handled this diagnosis, his birth, and his development, they tend to mention the appearance of strength and ease. And the only thing I have to say back to them is, you're seeing the Holy Spirit. Because outside of the Lord's arms, I would be wrecked and spiraling with worry and fear. All of my prayers have been answered. Not in the way I thought I wanted, but God heard me. Mike is healthy and he's growing. He's forced us to slow down. And the daughter who thought her life was ending is his biggest cheerleader. I don't think I'm out of this storm. In fact, as many parents can relate, the storms come and go on the regular. With Micah's diagnosis, there are a lot of things still keeping me up at night. And even as I write this at 2 a.m. with an upset baby on my chest, I can feel God and and the power of his spirit working in and through me. Even though our future is unclear to us, it is not unclear to God. As our Micah anthem sings, I've got joy in chaos, a peace that makes no sense. I won't be going under. I'm not held by my own strength. You see, unexplainable peace and joy exist where Jesus Christ dwells. And while I know this won't be the end of grief, sadness, and anxiety in our life, I do know that Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand, he has never failed and he never will.
0: Thank you. I'm gonna try to take a deep breath. Baby Micah's right down here. Can you stand up hope? Let us give him a round of applause, that beautiful, beautiful child. perfect blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted we don't always get it life is hard it's full of curveballs things that we we do not understand, that we do not get, things that frustrate us, things that make us angry things that make us in the moment shake our fist at God and if you've ever shaken your fist at God and I have I assure you he's big enough for that, go and read the Psalms but no matter where we may be, if you're on the mountaintop today praise God from whom all blessings flow, praise God for the season that you are in but if you are in the depth of the valley stand on what you know to be true there is a God and he is good beyond our circumstances and he loves you more than you will ever know pretty good guess that there are a lot of folks who came in um, today that in their own way in their own Circumstance or situation or mourning and grieving and I don't know what that may be. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you think you came into here to this service and that was just coincidence, so the Lord may be working on your heart and you are grieving because you're understanding that you are not in alignment with who He is. And the Lord is pulling His own to Himself as only He can do. You want to feel truly the comfort of God. You will never fully Experience the comfort of God and who you were created to be apart from Jesus. Maybe you are grieving or mourning because life is just life and you've got a, I don't know, it runs the gamut of physical reality, a relational reality, a financial reality, whatever it may be. Um, if you're visiting with us here, we don't do this every Sunday at Crossroads, but we do it regularly. We just like to take a little bit of extra time and to worship Him to praise Him, to go to Him in prayer, whatever it may be. During these types of services, we always ask uh, some some folks here at the church to come down and be a part of that. I'm going to ask Pastor Caleb to come down now. Jason Arrigo is one of our elders. Sonia Taylor, who is uh, on our Crossroads prayer team. I'm going to be down on this side. And if there is anything at all that you would like prayer for, It would be our privilege. It would be our privilege to pray with you, whatever it may be. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're far away. Maybe you used to know Jesus and you're so far away now, and yet he is calling you to himself today. Let today be the day of your salvation. He is a good God and he loves you so much. Thanks for joining us this week. I really hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like more information on Crossroads Community Church, you can check out our website at crossroadsconnect.net. And if you are ever in our area, we would love to have you visit us in person at 3003 South Eola Road in Aurora, Illinois. I hope you have a great week and I look forward to having you join us again soon.